It was a Friday morning around Easter time, and like a lot of the pastors on staff, Friday is one of our off days, so I woke up and I had a whole list of things that I wanted to get done. I was going to begin with running some errands. I needed to go to the Dollar Tree, and then I needed to go uh, Home Depot, and then uh, Binks. Binks was having their spring sale, and that's honestly the only time I could afford to buy anything in there. So we were going to go by there and check it out. And I went to get my keys, and the kids came running through the house, and they heard me, and they said, Daddy, where are you going? And I said, well, I need to run to a couple stores, and then I'll be back. I need to cut the grass. And and they said, well, can we go? And I was like, ah, man, I really want to get this done. But the, the thing is that... My mom had sent them some money, and they each had $5 that was burning a hole in their pocket, and they hurt Dollar Tree, and when you take a kid with $5 into Dollar Tree, they instantly become millionaires. So I, I couldn't say no. So you can see my, uh, I have three kids, I have three kids, so my oldest, my nine-year-old, he comes out, and he has his wallet, and he's wearing flip-flops, right, and then my middle, my seven-year-old, she comes out looking like she's about to go to prom. And she has her purse across her, uh, her chest. And then here comes the baby. So the two-year-old comes out, and she's barefoot. But thankfully, she does have something on the lower half. And she's holding, she's holding a, a little lamb. And it, it actually is, is one of the beanie baby uh, lambs. And she's carrying, she calls it Lammy. And she's dragging that thing along. And she looks at me, and she's like, on go. And I was like, oh. Why, yes, you can. What else? You want a pony? I'll give you a pony. So I took her, and we loaded everybody up, and we're headed to our first stop, which is Dollar Tree, right? So we go to the Dollar Tree, um, the one over by Target behind Chick-fil-A off of Old Fort. You know, you know the one I'm talking about? So we, uh, we load up, and we, we cruise on over there, and we go the back way. So we get to the Dollar Tree, and I get everybody out. Now, remember, it's, it's just me. My wife is not with us, right? So it's one against three, so i got to play zone coverage here. So immediately I take baby girl and I put her in the shopping cart. And the Dollar Tree has those weird shopping carts with the, the big flag that looks like I'm going to jump motorcycles in the desert. And I really think that they're just super worried about you stealing their shopping carts. But anyways, anyways, so I put her in the shopping cart, right? And then I have the two older kids, they're walking by me and we walk in the store and we turn right, which is the seasonal stuff. So I walk up and they have yard signs uh, for Easter. They have Easter eggs. And, and then I look and they have a giant basket full of little stuffed animals. Now they're, they're different colors. They're pinks and blues and greens and yellows. And they're all kinds of, there's like bunnies and chickens and, and uh, there, there's just all kinds of things. And my, my little girl, she sees these and instantly she looks over and she starts trying to reach and she starts trying to grab them because she wants all of them. And the buggy starts leaning over a little bit and I'm, I grab her hand and I pull her back and then it's like whack-a-mole. Like she puts back and I put one and then we go back. And then my two kids, they come because they found something that they want. So immediately they're like, hey, I think it's a diversion. I think they were all working together. So she is grabbing these little stuffed animals and I take them away and she starts crying. She starts crying and now she's screaming because she wants all the little stuffed animals and she somehow grabbed a whole, a whole basket, just sets them right in her lap, right? And then she's crying, but she stops crying when she gets all of the little stuffed animals in her lap. And my daughter, my middle daughter, she says, hey, why don't we just let her hold them while we're shopping and then you can put them back afterwards. Now, parents, your, your kids ever have an idea that you're like, that's actually a really good idea, but I can't let them know it's a good idea because I can't lose the upper hand, right? So I sit there for a minute and I say, dad's got an idea. What we're going to do is we're going to let her hold all of them while we're shopping, and then we're going to put them back before we check out. 
So we go, and an hour later, and $100 worth of stuff, which is amazing because everything just costs a dollar, we go and we get in line to check out. So there's this one little lady that's checking out, and we have a string of buggies, and we're there, and I almost get to the counter when I look down, and what do I realize? I have a basket full of stuffed animals. So non-emotionally, I go back over to the seasonal section and I just grab, I don't even check up. I just grab everything and I dump it back in the basket. Baby girl starts crying again. So then we get through the checkout, which I have to mind you, everybody wants to check out themselves, right? They wanna go up, they wanna pay the money. They wanna get their own bag, their own receipt. I'm like, we got stuff to do. And then it's my turn, I check out. We get out of the store and then we get in the car and I buckle everybody up and then we go all, all the way across Old Fort, in which honestly, I would rather get poked in the eye than drive this route. We go past Chick-fil-A, which you have to like navigate the whole like line of cars. So you have to go upstream, past Target, cross Old Fort. Now I'm in the Home Depot parking lot and we go to get everybody out, but baby girl starts crying again. And then she starts murmuring something about, no go, no go, yammy bye-bye, yammy bye-bye. And I was like, you want to go buy some yams. Like what, what is happening right now? We got, I need to get in Home Depot. Let's like, let's do this. And she won't go. She's like, uh-uh. She's holding the seatbelts. And she's like, uh-uh, yammy baba, yammy baba. And we go like five minutes back and forth. And I'm like, what is happening? So I call on a translator. I'm like, hey kids, I need you to come up. What is she saying? What is she saying? And then my daughter, without skipping a beat, she walks up and she's like, oh, she says that her yam, her lammy is bye-bye. Oh, oh, and then it hits me. While we were in Dollar Tree and I was putting all of the stuffed animals back, I must have grabbed her little lamb and put it back in that giant basket. And she's crying and she's like, you're Miami, Miami, Miami. And I'm like, kid, you got 4,000 stuffed animals. I am not playing Frogger going back across Old Fort to go back to the Dollar Tree. And then she looks at me with these eyes, these big blue eyes. So we load up and we go all the way back to Dollar Tree, right? And I don't tell my wife I did this, but I left all the kids in the car, okay? And then I go in by myself. I go in by myself and then I'm writing this story about how this lamb is gone, right? Some kid saw it, grabbed it, right? Or some, some lady that I know right now, there's somebody in this room that you are banking on your retirement with a trash bag of these in your attic. Okay, so somebody found this thing, they saw what it was and they took it and I walk in there and I'm sweating, right? And I round the corner and laying right on top of everything is this little lamb and it's looking up at me and it says, you fool, <laughs> what are you doing? You know, as I was walking back, back across the parking lot to the car and I'm a grown man holding my lamb, which looks really weird without kids. I began to think, how could someone love something so much that they would want to go through that much trouble to rescue it? Luke chapter 15 says, The tax collectors and the sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were whispering among themselves. And they said, This man, Jesus, welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Then Jesus told them a story. He said, suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them. Won't he leave the 99 in the open country? And won't he go and look for the one lost sheep until he finds it? 
And then when he finds it, he will joyfully put it on his shoulders and go home. Then he will call his friends, his neighbors together, and he will say, Be joyful with me. I have found my lost sheep. This week, we are going to learn about shepherds, but not just any shepherd. We are going to learn about the good shepherd, the perfect shepherd, the one that did leave the 99 and went and rescued the one lost sheep. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 10. We're gonna be in John chapter 10. And while you're looking for John chapter 10, which is in the New Testament, I'm gonna kind of tell you what's going on. So Jesus is talking to a group of Pharisees. So a Pharisees, they are the spiritual leaders, or actually they are supposed to be the spiritual leaders of Israel, God's chosen people. But they are doing a horrible job at it. Instead of helping people grow closer to God, they're actually confusing everything with their legalism. Now, the thing is that all Pharisees are not bad. I don't want to paint a picture that all the Pharisees were bad, but for the most part, they did not do what they were supposed to do in leading Israel in their spiritual journey. Well, Jesus knew this, and the Pharisees and Jesus butted heads all the time because Jesus came in, and as Jesus started talking and he started working these miracles, it really messed with the Pharisees because they did not like what Jesus was doing. Well, one day Jesus is teaching as he normally does, and there was a group of Pharisees, and they were listening in on Jesus. They would kind of hang in the shadows and eavesdrop, and they would try to figure out what's up with this guy named Jesus. And one day, as Jesus is talking, he turns to them, and here's what he says. What I'm about to tell you, Pharisees, is true. What if someone does not enter the sheep pen through the gate, but climbs in another way? That person is a thief and a robber. The one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. Now, we're talking about sheep, and we're talking about shepherds. Now, what is a, what is a shepherd's job? To take care of the sheep. Let's pause for a second, and for us to really understand about shepherds, we need to take a minute and learn a little bit about sheep. So we have a picture of some sheep here. And the first fun fact, if you don't remember anything else I say, this is pretty cool, is, uh, which I kind of have to be honest in saying that I didn't fully understand this, but there is a difference between sheep and lambs. A sheep is just an adult sheep, right? The sheep there. But a baby sheep is called a, are you ready for this? A lamb. Y'all knew that, didn't you? I didn't. Well, Mary had a little lamb, a little lamb. It, she just had a baby sheep, right? And when you look at the sheep, they're cute and, and they're, they're cuddly, especially the little lamb, but they actually, they actually grow up. And that little cute little kid version of the sheep world grows up and they begin to smell funny. And then their wool grows out and they get really nasty things in there and they get really dirty. And, and see, sheep do really, really funny things. And it's kind of odd, like, like on the outside, the sheep looks great, but as they get older, they're, they're a lot like us. You see that they can't see very well, so half the time they don't know where they're going. And then they're following the lead sheep around, right? No matter what's happening, they're just following who's the most popular. And then there's the bully sheep. So whenever you feed the sheep, there's always this one sheep that when it gets done, it wants to come and it wants to like boss everybody else around and tell them what to do and eat up all their food. And then it's the stuff that they always get into. Like when you go out to the sheep pen and you start counting and you notice that one is gone. And then you look and they have gotten out of their pen because they're in the next pen. Because isn't the grass always greener on the other side? 
And if they didn't get through the pen, guess what? They've got themselves in this crazy situation, like their head is stuck in the fence, and they can't get out. Sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Because the truth is, we are the sheep. We are just like sheep. We are the sheep. And when you think about a sheep, a sheep can't take care of itself. It doesn't have crazy defensive techniques, right? It's very humble, it's very meek, and it needs someone to watch over it. Well, who watches over the sheep? The shepherd. The shepherd's job is to protect, provide for the sheep, to to lead, to guide the sheep. Now, there were shepherds all over the place when Jesus was telling this story. Sheep were very, very important, not just for their meat, but for their wool. The wool was very important because that's what you turned into fabric, yarn that people made clothes out of. And especially in Jesus's day, people needed this to keep warm. So when Jesus began to talk to the Pharisees and everybody that was listening, and he began to talk about shepherds and sheep, everyone automatically knew exactly what he was talking about because there was probably one standing not very far behind them. So let's keep going and let's find out what Jesus has to say. It says, the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. The sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He calls them by name and leads them out. When he has brought all of his own sheep, he goes ahead of them. His sheep follow him because they know his voice. They know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him. They don't recognize the stranger's voice. Jesus told this story, but the Pharisees didn't understand what he was telling them. So Jesus is talking to a group of Pharisees and he says, hey, pretend that there are some sheep, right? And who's supposed to take care of the sheep? The shepherds. But imagine that someone tries to sneak in and doesn't take care of the sheep the way that they're supposed to. And they don't even go through the gate. They come in from the side. That person is a thief and a robber. And he looks at the Pharisees, and the Pharisees know exactly what he's saying. Because the Pharisees are the thieves and the robbers. Jesus is looking at him, and essentially what he's saying is, you had a job, and you weren't doing your job. You're not doing, you're actually doing a terrible job at your responsibility. You're supposed to be taking care of this flock of sheep and you're not doing a good job. Then he flips and he says, but let me tell you about the good shepherd. Let me tell you about somebody that's doing what they're supposed to be doing. And it says the good shepherd, the good shepherd leads the sheep. A good shepherd leads the sheep. It doesn't say that the good shepherd just yells at the sheep and just pushes the sheep. It says, no, that a good shepherd goes before the sheep, is out in front of the sheep. You see, there's nothing that these sheep will experience that the good shepherd has not already gone through first. There's nothing that you and I will ever experience that Jesus Christ did not experience during his time on this earth. There's nothing that he will ever go through I'm sorry, nothing that we will ever go through that he has not already gone through himself. The good shepherd leads. Then it says that the good shepherd calls his sheep by their name. 
See, sheep were so important. It wasn't just a means of income or a means of meat, but these sheep were part of their family. They loved these sheep. And a shepherd, a good shepherd, would care for these sheep. And not only would he care for them, but he knew them. He knew every one of them. If we look at this picture, I mean, I'm looking at it. They all look the same to me, right? They're all smelly, woolly creatures with four legs and two eyes. And, but a good shepherd looks and they see something different. They see something different because they know the sheep, each and every sheep. You see, Jesus, Jesus knows you and he knows me and he knows us better than we know ourselves. Jesus knows more about you than you know about you. Jesus knows more about your spouse than you know about your spouse. Jesus knows more about your parents than you know about your parents because he loves and cares and he is the good shepherd. Then it says that he calls them by name. He calls out to them and the sheep know his voice. You know, this is pretty crazy, but this is true that there still to this day are shepherds that are living in the fields of the Palestinian shepherds, the Israeli shepherds that are over in the Middle East, just like it is written thousands of years ago in this true Bible that there are still shepherds today that they live that life. And it says that you can go over and you can hear a shepherd that is with their sheep, their flock, that this shepherd knows their flock and the flock knows the shepherd. And it says that the shepherd can call out to the sheep and the sheep know the shepherd's voice. But not just the shepherd knows their voice, but here's the, here's the thing is that they use this, this almost like foreign language. It says that when you hear a shepherd calling to the sheep, that you really won't understand what he's saying because he, he almost sings it out in like a melody, this heart song. But the thing is that you and I may not understand, but the sheep know exactly what the shepherd is saying. When the shepherd stands from afar and he calls out to the sheep in this heart song, the sheep hear his voice and immediately Just like you being in a store and you hear your loved one's voice, immediately you know exactly who it is. You may not fully understand what they're saying, but you know that voice. And you'll begin to see a sheep will poke his head up and turn around and look over the backs of the other sheep. And across the field, they see their shepherd. And they begin to turn and go and trust and follow their shepherd. Verse 7. So Jesus said again, because the Pharisees didn't understand, Jesus said again, what I'm about to tell you is true. Now, did Jesus ever lie? No. Jesus always spoke the truth. Even when we don't understand what he's saying and we don't really get it, just like the Pharisees didn't understand, Jesus, what he says is true and we can trust it. So Jesus said again, what I'm about to tell you is true. I am like a gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am like a gate. Anyone who enters through me will be saved. Anyone who enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and they will, they will find plenty of food. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and I want them to have it to the fullest in the possible way. Your translation may say, and I want them to have life and have it abundantly. Here it is, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. Did he say a good shepherd? No, he said, Jesus himself said, I am the 
good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. The hired man is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when the hired man sees the wolf coming, he leaves the sheep and he runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is just a hired man. He does not care about the sheep. But I, here it is a second time, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. They know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I give my life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. The word that Jesus uses is a Greek word for good called kalos. Kalos means, it means good, but it's not like, hey, you made an A plus on the test, high five. It means good is in goodness, kindness, a lovingness, a graciousness that only comes from the heart. And what Jesus is beginning to teach, because he goes on and he says, well, let me tell you the difference. A hired man, right, someone that is hired to do a job, a hired man, if the wolf comes, the hired man's just gonna run away. But he says, I am not a hired man. I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd. Let's, let's pause and let's think about the difference between the good shepherd and the hired man. The hired man. So if, if I have something that I need done around my house and I want to hire you, we're gonna negotiate a deal. You're gonna come and you're gonna do a job and I'm going to give you money in exchange, right? Does that make sense? Okay, so you are doing something to gain something. The only reason you're working for me is so that you can gain something out of the deal. That's why you do the work, okay? Think about the good shepherd. Jesus did not have to be our shepherd. Jesus did not have to come down to this earth and go through what we have gone through in this broken world. Jesus did not have to come, but he said he wanted to be our good shepherd. And check this out. Jesus did not gain anything from it. He actually lost everything, everything, including his life. Jesus in his goodness did not gain anything, but sacrificed everything. Why would he do that? Because he loves his sheep. Who's the sheep? You and I. That's how much Jesus loves us. That's how much Jesus loves you is that he was willing to sacrifice everything to take care of your greatest need. And that was to be rescued from sin so that we could be brought back to God. Jesus is the good shepherd. That's our bottom line today is that Jesus is the good shepherd. I'm gonna say it, I want you to repeat after me. Say, Jesus is the good shepherd. When Jesus promises that he is the good shepherd, he is promising that he will take care of us. And in that, he will meet all of our needs. Turn to Psalm 23. Turn to Psalm 23. And while you're turning there, let's talk about Psalm 23. So Psalm 23 was written by a guy named David. Now for my kids that are in here, we've been studying all about David in the past couple of months. Now David is the king of Israel, right? Now before David became the king of Israel, what was his job? What did he do when he was a boy? He was a shepherd. Good job. He was a shepherd. And there's a psalm. Psalm just means song. I don't know why they just didn't call the book of the Bible 
songs. Psalm is a song, but it's like a prayer. It's poetry. It is poetry that speaks a prayer to the Lord. And David, who is also a musician, right? He was a musician when he was younger. And he wrote songs to the Lord to express how he felt. It was between him and God. And he wrote Psalm 23, which is one of the, probably one of the most popular songs. It's very well known. We see it in funerals and on dining room walls. There was even a motorcycle guy rode by me and it was on the back of his leather vest. I thought I was like, that's cool. Yeah. Right. Get me a motorcycle. So in that Psalm 23, Psalm 23 is David using what he knows about sheep and shepherds. And he is telling us how God in his goodness, not just meeting all of our eternal needs, but he can meet our everyday needs. I have five minutes, so I'm going to go through really fast. If you're a note taker, you have a pencil and you want to write something down. Here's a chance for you to write this down right in your Bible. So verse one says, the Lord is my shepherd right there out the gate. My shepherd. David is saying that God is my shepherd. The great shepherd is over the shepherd. David has a personal relationship with God, right? This is what makes all the difference as you read this psalm. And then it goes on to say, the Lord, he gives me everything I need. Does it say that God gives me everything I want? No. There's other places in the Bible that says that God will supply all my needs, not my wants. I want a new truck. I, want, I drive by car lots and I look at shiny new trucks. I begin to lust about them. And I'm like, oh, my life would be so much better if I had a new truck, right? Do I even need a truck? No. Do I even need a car? No. Does my family need multiple vehicles? No, do we even need a vehicle? I could probably argue that we don't. They're building a new house or a new subdivision across from my subdivision, which is pretty much everywhere in Middle Tennessee, right? And I pull out of my driveway and I see the new shiny houses. So what do I start thinking? My life would be better if I had a new house. Do I need a new house? No, I just need shelter. When we leave here this afternoon, I want a double cheeseburger with bacon and all the, mm, and the fries next to it. Do I need that? No, just need nutrients. See, there's a difference in what we want and what we need. And it is very hard to see, but God gives us everything we need. Let's keep going. Verse two, he lets me lie down in fields of green grass, not just any grass, but green grass. You can write next to verse two, spiritual needs, spiritual needs. See, everything that we wrestle with, and we all have things that we struggle with, the things that are deep in us, not the outside stuff, but the stuff that goes on in our core. But we have to be reminded is the first thing that David says is that God can meet your spiritual needs. And we are living in spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter six, verse 12 says, our fight is not against human beings. It is against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of the darkness of the world. It is against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly world. Our fight is not with each other. That person that you're mad at, your battle is not with that person. The battle is with Satan, but Satan has us fighting each other so much that we are distracted while he does all kinds of other things in our family and our world that we don't even see what's going on because we're too busy fighting each other. But the battle isn't against each other. We have to learn to look past the person, look past the person and see that the real enemy is Satan because we're all in this together. Verse three, 
He gives me new strength. He guides me in the right path for the honor of his name. He guides me in the right path, but for the honor of his name. Write down directional needs, directional needs. We all have choices. We all have decisions. My family right now, we're facing decisions that if we make the wrong decision could impact our family. And that's the fear that we have is I don't wanna mess anything up. Like I don't, wanna, I don't wanna mess it up because I kinda have this story of where I want my family to be and what I want my future to look like. So I don't wanna mess this up. It's like we're playing an adult version of Monopoly and we don't wanna, we don't wanna make the wrong play. But the truth is that if we seek the Lord, God will put us where we need to be if we're trusting him. Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding, but in all your ways, obey him in all your ways. Then he will make your path smooth and straight. What decision are you dealing with? What decision do you face? What decision does your family face? Is it a job? Is it a relationship? Is it school? What is it? What do you need to surrender to the Lord? Because it says that he will put us on the right path, but it also says that that path will honor his name. Where you are may not be where you wanna be, but it may be exactly where God wants you to be because he has something to teach you in it. Don't miss it. Let's keep going. Even though I walk through the valley, the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. You are with me, your shepherd's rod and staff, they comfort me. Verse four, write emotional needs. Emotional. We live in a broken world and it is an emotional roller coaster. It's like a hurricane. But we have to remember that we cannot function and we cannot live based on how we feel. We have to live based on truth. Truth does not change. Our feelings change. They, they change on circumstances. Things that come from the outside affect the way that we feel, but the truth never changes. I wanna pause for parenting real quick because if there is anything that you could ever do for your kid, Two things. Number one, teach them about Jesus. Teach your kid about who Jesus is and what he did for them. Number two, teach your kids how to process their emotions in a healthy way. And that begins with teaching them how to name their emotions. There's a difference in coping and processing. The world teaches us just to cope. I'm just coping with it. Coping says, I'm going to hide this thing, this core thing. I'm just gonna hide it and I'm gonna suffocate it with all kinds of different things, substances, hobbies, people, just escapism, whatever it is, you just cope with it. But guess what? The core problem has never been addressed and it's only a matter of time before it comes back. But by processing your emotions, first you name that emotion and then you ask the Lord to show you where that's coming from and surrender it to him and allow the power of the Holy Spirit to heal you from the heart out, not from the outside coming in. Gotta keep going, I'm, running, I'm out of time. Verse five, you prepare a feast for me right in front of my enemies. You pour oil on my head. My cup runs over. I wanna say that again, my cup runs over. Verse five, write down physical needs. God provides for our physical needs. Does he give us everything we want? No, not gonna happen. But he promises that he will give us everything we need and it will be more than enough because our cup will run over. Now, a lot of times when you think of physical needs, you think of maybe someone is sick, something didn't play out the way that you wanted it to. I don't know. I can't, I'm not gonna stand up here. I don't know. I don't, we live in a broken world. Bad things happen. I don't know. I experience them. I live in it. I'm right there with you. I don't know. But here's one thing I do want you to know, 
there's this, there's this beautiful picture that, that God paints for us. And I want, you, I want you to hear me out. So the shepherds, when they would take their flocks out to the pastures and nightfall would come, they didn't have time to go back to the farm, right, and put them all in the pen. So here's what they would do is they would have these, these pens made of stone. It's about the size of this room would be a perfect example. So there would be this stone wall around this room, right? And then around where I'm standing would be a funnel, a gap, okay, this gap. And what would happen is the shepherd would run all the sheep for the night. He would run them into this pen and they would be protected. But there's a problem. The problem is that there is no gate on the gap, there is no gate. So here's what the shepherd would do. The shepherd himself would lay down in the gap and he would spend the night laying in the gap for the sheep. I may not understand everything that's going on, but here's what God promises us, is there is nothing that has come to you that did not first go through him. As he's laying in the gap, he knows about it. He knows about it. But are you talking to him about it? Are you surrendering this to him and allowing him to heal you and to meet your needs? And then lastly, verse six says eternal needs. Write down eternal needs. It says, I am sure that your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Goodness and love will follow me. We talk a lot about shepherds and we talked about like the, the Middle Eastern shepherds, but there's a whole nother world of shepherds in England and in Europe. And they use a lot of sheepdogs. And it's really fascinating if you ever get to watch sheepdogs work. Here's, here's what happens. You have the shepherd. The shepherd, as we've talked before, the shepherd goes in front of the sheep, right? He is leading the sheep. And as the sheep follow, he has his sheepdogs. And what the sheepdogs do is they follow the flock and they ride on the flanks of the flock, okay? And they don't mess with the flock until one of the sheep decide that they're going to be selfish. And in their own initiative, they're going to leave the flock and they're gonna go off by themselves. But immediately, who's there to meet them? the goodness, the mercy, the love comes in, swoops in out of nowhere and pushes that sheep back, back to the shepherd, back to the flock. That's our lives. God's goodness, his love, his mercy, his patience. Anytime that we try to break off on our own and leave him, he is so quick to bring us back, but not just bring us back, but bring us closer to him. And he's doing that to discipline us, to remind us, hey, 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 trust me. Trust me because I am the good shepherd. And where's he leading us? He is leading us home for all the days of our life. Jesus is the good shepherd. Everyone that's here, everyone that's watching, everyone at Buchanan, everybody, including myself, we are in one of two places. We are either a sheep in the flock of Jesus. We know Jesus, we love Jesus. We are not perfect, but Jesus is perfect for us. And we trust in him. But is there something that he is calling out to that heart song? Is there something that he is speaking to you to draw you back and saying, hey, just trust me, give it to me. Let me take care of you. The second place that we can be is over here. 
We are not in the flock. You are sheep living astray on your own, doing your own thing, trying to make it. But the longer that you try to make it on your own, the deeper, thicker, thorn, thicket, nastiness of this world you find yourself in. And you are fighting so hard. I get it. You are fighting so hard to get out of it. But the harder you fight, the worse it gets. I wanna remind you that the same shepherd, the same shepherd in Luke chapter 15 that left the 99 is calling out to you. And he's not waiting for you to come home, to get cleaned up, to get it all together. No, he's coming to you. But all you have to do is stop. Stop where you are at, stop fighting, and allow him to reach down, pick you up, and put you on his shoulders to bring you back. Pray with me. God, we thank you so very much for how good you are. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of the Bible. Thank you that you are the good shepherd. Help us to understand what does that mean? What does that look like? It is such a simple truth. We are sheep, you are the shepherd, God, but show us where are we not trusting you? Speak to us. Help us to know your voice in this crazy, loud world that is so distracting. Help us to stop and to listen to you, God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.